Well, you know, we live in very unsettling times, don't we? In fact, that's the word I would use to describe the global situation right now, unsettling. In the global scene, we see the rise of ISIS, this group that we don't totally understand. We see on YouTube the gruesome beheadings. We hear about Putin and Russia's foray into Crimea and the Ukraine, and there's Syria, and there's Israel and Hamas going at it. There's Africa and Ebola outbreaks. It's all very unsettling, isn't it? Even in our own country, things here, to me, feel unsettled. What I perceive as a lack of strong leadership in Washington, a house of cards economy that feels like it's being propped up by printed money that could all collapse any day. There's the Ferguson riots, the the thorny immigration issue. There's the natural disasters flooding in some parts of the country and drought and Fires raging out of control in other parts of the country. It's all very unsettling to me. And even locally, some disturbing things are happening with some lockdowns at some local schools and the potential threat against our children. To me, it's all very unsettling. Ages ago, the Bible predicted such times. In the passage that Matt just read, the Apostle Paul, writing way back in the first century, described such an era. He said, difficult times will come. Literally, vicious, savage, perilous times where people would turn on each other in hostility and in brutality. And that was happening to some degree in Paul's own lifetime, but he was also looking ahead to history's final era when man's rejection of God and man's inhumanity to his fellow man would be epidemic. Well, I can't say that I know exactly where we're at in God's time frame, God's timetable, but I can say this. If ever there was a time to be grounded in your faith, to have both feet firmly planted on the rock of solid truth, it's, it's now. To know what you believe and why you believe it. You and I need a firm foundation for our lives so that we're not knocked over by the shifting winds of global unrest and societal change and even personal and family upheaval. Begin a new series today, and it's a a series on Christian doctrine. We're calling it Firm Foundation, Unshakable Truths of the Christian Faith. And what we hope to do in this series is, is shore up our belief system so that we all have solid footing during these unsettling times, not just for us, but also so we can help others gain a firm footing as well, our children, our grandchildren, our friends, people that we know. Now, you may be here this morning, and you may think, hey, I'm already on solid ground with my beliefs. I I know what I'm about. I know what I believe. I don't really need this, and maybe you're right. I hope you are. But I remember not long after we moved here, there was a very surprising incident that happened downtown that had most of Columbus talking. What it appeared to be solid ground, one morning, on the morning commute, caved in, and a large sinkhole opened up right downtown on Broad Street. Anybody remember that? I think it was like 1986. The dispatch printed a photo of a nice, shiny Mercedes that had been swallowed up and now sat down at the bottom of that pit. And I think there's a lesson there 
things may not be as solid as they appear. <laughs> they may need shoring up, even if they look fine on the surface. And most of you this morning look fine on the surface. But I believe we need to do some shoring up of our underground faith, reinforcing it to prevent that kind of collapse in your life and in mine. Where I want to start is, is with the source of truth. Perhaps the most basic question that anybody could ask is, is a philosophical question, and it's this. Where do I go to find solid truth to build my life on? Where do I go? And beyond that, how can I even know what's really true? Well, down through the centuries, thinkers have offered us several approaches for finding truth. One could be called rationalism. And the rationalists say, well, if you want to find truth, look within. They contend that the human mind comes hardwired with some innate knowledge apart from any actual experience, that we have within our rational nature an intuition about some things that we can make deductions from. And certainly that approach is valid in mathematics and certain fields of knowledge, but aren't there also other areas outside the limits of our rational abilities? Should we really trust human intuition to arrive at the truth about God or the purpose of our existence or the afterlife? Then there's empiricism. The empiricists don't say look within, they say look around, look around. They counter the rationalists and they contend that knowledge is actually gained through sensory experience. So they put a premium on seeing and hearing and smelling and touching and tasting. And no doubt that's also true for things that can be tested in a laboratory, but aren't there some things that can't be, like love? Are you going to bring love and put it in a test tube and observe it and analyze it? Or eternity or God? Well, then the subjectivists came along and said, well, they did not say look within or look around. They say stop looking. <laughs> it's a futile search. These are the postmoderns in our day who say, look, there's really no way to be certain about what is true or what's not true, and, and that's not really the goal anyway. Truth is an illusion, and we shouldn't trouble ourselves too much in trying to find it. Better to say that there's truth for you and truth for me, and so let's all just live in harmony. It's created by tolerating everybody's views. Philosophers have given us those three approaches to knowing truth, but Christians, Christian theologians down through the centuries, have always contended that there's a fourth way to know truth, call it revelation, divine revelation. Those who believe in revelation don't say look within or look around or stop looking. They say what? Look up. <laughs> look up to the heavens and find the ultimate source of truth. A source outside of ourselves who knows all things, who's chosen to reveal to humanity some of what he knows, probably just a little bit of his vast reservoir of knowledge, and that he's chosen to disclose that through human instruments and human language. Divine revelation. Believing that there is a God and that this God has indeed revealed truth to humanity is foundational to Christian faith, isn't it? Sure, some truth can be known through the rational deductions of the human mind. Some truth can be known through the scientific process. But other truths, particularly ultimate truths, can only be known to us if they're revealed to us by God. 
And so Christians believe that God has indeed done that and that his revelation is contained in a book that we call the Bible. When I speak of ultimate truths, I'm talking about the answers to life's biggest questions like, who are we really and how did we get here and what are we here for and where are we headed and is it all just random or is there a plan and a purpose to what's going on in history? Are we accountable to just ourselves or is there something or someone greater out there that we are accountable to? Those are the questions underneath all other questions and as you know, humans have been grappling with that for centuries. So today, I'm going to talk about the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. There's a lot I won't be able to get to because of time constraints. It's not my purpose today to build a case for the inerrancy and trustworthiness of the Bible. I've already done that in a previous sermon, and we're making CDs available today, except the 9 o'clock service hogged them all, and there's only one left. So here it is, if you want it, right here. I'm not seeing this as a class lecture today on how the Bible is put together or how the Bible has been transmitted to us down through the centuries, although that's a fascinating study. Nor is it my plan to compare the Bible today with other sacred writings like the Quran. There, there are brilliant Christian apologists who do that much better than I could. Ravi Zacharias and William Lane Craig and Lee Strobel come to mind. You can go online and study that for yourself. What I want to do today is share a bit of my own history with this book and then talk about why I'm so convinced that the Bible is the absolute best foundation to build your life on in any era, really, but especially in times like these, unsettling times like these. Well, I was blessed to grow up in a Bible-believing family and a Bible-honoring church. I know some of you didn't, and maybe you, know, you find it hard to relate to me because of that. What that did for me is it instilled in me a, a reverence for the Bible as the holy word of God. I was taught from the Bible in Sunday school as a little kid. Just like we do here, by the way, in our children's ministries, you need to know that we, we teach our children the Bible, and it's not just fluff. I mean, there's some deep stuff that we're imparting to our young people here through the ministries of this church. Some of the things we hear coming out of their mouths are just deep. Well, I was taught the Bible in Sunday school. I was taught it in junior church. I was taught it in vacation Bible school. And when I got old enough, I was taught the Bible in Awana clubs. Now, if you don't know what Awana clubs are, they're like a Christian version of, of Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, a Christian club program. And we have them here as well. And I was in Awana clubs growing up. <coughs> Excuse me. Awana taught me that the Bible was important enough to be memorized. In fact, Awana is kind of built on scripture memory, and it uses competition to motivate kids to memorize scripture. And since I've always been all about competition, I just dove in. You know, I wanted to earn that little arrowhead to put on my award bar, on my, on my shirt, and win trophies so I could beat all the other kids. That's what it was about. <laughs> <clears throat> I still remember memorizing my very first verse in Awana. It's from the King James Version of the Bible, because that's all we had. Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him who justifieth 
the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. I learned a gospel verse, very first verse I ever learned. I also remember memorizing verses about the Bible itself, like Psalm 119.11. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure by taking heed according to thy word? I learned Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I learned 2 Timothy 3.16 that Matt read, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I learned Matthew 4, 4, the words of Jesus, where he said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I learned Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they became unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And so I learned that the Bible was nourishment, was food for my soul. Like in Psalm 19.10 where it says it's sweeter than honey, even honey from the honeycomb. In 1 Peter 2.2 where it says, like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk of the word, that by it you may grow up in your salvation. I learned that parts of it were sweet like honey, parts of it were harder to digest like meat. Reciting all of those verses out loud to my Awana leaders like Mr. Murawski and Mr. Campbell reinforced in my mind the Bible's claim to be different from any other book because it was the Word of God. When I was a kid, I had a little blue Bible. When I was 14, my parents bought me a Schofield reference Bible with a black leather cover. And man, did it smell good when I opened it up. Here it is, right here. Now, through the years, um, you know, it's kind of taken a beating. <laughs> but it had little notes down at the bottom by a guy named Schofield. I even learned a new version of the old hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Schofield Notes and Scripture Press. <laughs> I discovered that it was okay to, to make markings in your Bible that you weren't defacing, you know, sacred property, but it, it was okay to, to make notes, and, and I did some of that. Sadly, during my high school years, this Bible mostly just sat on a table in my room, gathering dust, despite my mom's efforts and my youth pastors encouraging me to get into the Word every day. I didn't, because during those years, my attention had been captured by other things, like girls and cars and sports. And that's what I was into, and my Bible got neglected. But unbeknownst to me, <clears throat> all those verses that I had learned back when I was a kid in Awana weren't just lying dormant down in my heart. You know what they were doing? They were getting together down there and planning a revolt. <laughs> <laughs> they were planning an insurrection. Even though I had known Psalm, or Isaiah 55, 11, I'd memorized it, I didn't realize it was going to apply to me, where the Lord said, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty or void, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When I was 18, God ambushed me on a California 
highway through a drunk driving accident that I told you about. And almost immediately, all those Awana verses started bubbling back up to the surface of my consciousness and speaking to me. Steve, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. Just a few months later, I found myself in an environment on a Christian college campus where it seemed to me like everybody loved God and everybody loved his word. I took this Bible every night to the dormitory bathroom where there was six or seven guys sitting around in, in a circle with their Bibles open on their knees and our RA named Dave Early taught us how to study the Bible for ourselves. If I turn to James, I still have the notes that I wrote 35 years ago as I was taking in the Word of God in that setting and in that environment. I remember having a balding professor there who one day took his Bible and literally with tears took it and put it in his mouth and he said, I just love feasting and feeding on the Word of God. And I knew that same hunger and craving was stirring up in my own soul. I remember sitting in class wishing the bell would ring so I could get out of there and go back to my dorm room and read the Bible. It was a strong, intense hunger and craving. The question all the guys in our dorm would ask each other regularly was, hey, hey, what did you get out of the Word today? Hey, what's God been saying to you from His Word? What's Jesus teaching you through the Bible? And you didn't want to not have an answer for that when that was being asked. It seemed to me like everybody was in God's word every day. Well, those cravings, that appetite, through the years since then, has has ebbed and flowed in me. Sometimes I've had that same hunger, and other times I've allowed other appetites to dominate my life. But there's one thing... That, all, that my mentors and my disciplers and my pastors instilled in me that has never left me, it's this. When I want to reset my life, I go back to the Word. When I want to recenter my heart, I go back to God's Word. When I want to reorder my priorities, I go back to this book. When I feel the need to confess my sin and reestablish Jesus as the king of my life, the first thing I do is go back to the Bible. And when I want to reestablish firm footing underneath my feet during shaky seasons of my life, I go back to the Bible. It's never left me. Never left me. To this very day, I believe that the Bible is the absolute best, strongest, sturdiest foundation that you can build your life on. And I challenge you to do it. I believe that for many reasons, and on your study notes, here are a few reasons why I believe that you should build your life on the Word of God. Number one, the Bible is the Word of God, not just the opinions of man. Jesus said, Thy Word is truth. We just heard it read, all Scripture is breathed by God. God breathed, it comes from His mouth. Our Lord said, if you continue in my Word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You can build your life on the various opinions of so-called experts. You can. It's your choice. You can watch Oprah or listen to Dr. Phil or Deepak and heed their advice. You can listen to Jay-Z rant about things. You can go to the Quran if you want. 
It's your choice. Or you can read in the Bible what the creator of the universe has said. Everybody's got a choice. 3,808 times the Bible writers referred to what they wrote as the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. As Martin Luther said, when scripture speaks, God speaks. You should build your life on the Bible because it is the very word of God. Second, you should build your life on the Bible because the Bible will endure forever while other things are going to pass away. The grass grows, the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. You've heard about the French atheist Voltaire centuries ago who made this bold prediction one day. He said, 50 years from now, the world will hear hear nothing more of the Bible. 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and his printing press and started printing Bibles from his house. (laughs) The Word of God is indestructible. As one man said, this anvil has worn out many hammers. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. Build your life on the Word of God. Third, The Bible tells us the truth, not just what we want to hear. The Bible tells humanity that we're all sinners who all fall short of God's perfect standard of complete holiness, that we cannot save ourselves from the power of sin or from the coming judgment of God. It tells us that while we might be better than our neighbor or better than our co-worker, that is is absolutely irrelevant when it comes to God because they're not the standard God is. In a hundred places, it tells us that we all need a Savior. And there's only one qualified, sinless one, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul wrote that in the end times, people will gather many teachers around them to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. I think he might have been writing about our generation, our era. You know what? Thankfully, we can always go right to the source and find the whole counsel of God right here in his book, the Word of God, the Bible. It tells us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Fourth reason to build your life on, on the Bible is that the Bible reveals God's plan, not just man's intentions. God's plan. You know, without the Bible, we'd all be in the dark. There's some things we wouldn't know. I mean, we could look around and see what, what people are up to. We could see what our leaders are up to and what they're hoping to bring about. But apart from the scriptures, we would have no idea what the king of kings is up to, what he's all about, what gets him up in the morning. How would we know that God has been working through history to redeem for himself a special people, a blood-bought royal family to dwell with forever in a specially fashioned garden city paradise. Would we even know that apart from the Bible? Without Genesis and Revelation and everything in between, we'd be oblivious to that. We'd only be left with what men are doing, not what God is doing. Build your life on the Bible, on the Bible. Number five, the Bible offers solid hope, not just wishful thinking. Try this. Try this with someone that you know, a friend, a coworker, somebody at school. Ask them this question. 
hey, do you think you're going to make it into heaven when you die? Now, if they don't believe in heaven or an afterlife, that's another conversation. But if they do, you're liable to hear something like this. Well, I sure hope so. <laughs> I mean, if God's going to let Jim in, if God's going to let Mary in, he's got to let me in. I hope I'm going to make it. I mean, I imagine God has these scales up in heaven, right? He's going to put my bad deeds on one side and my good deeds on the other, and I'm hoping my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, and he's going to let me in. We call that wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. I like what a guy told me once when I asked him that question. He said, well, if God doesn't let me in, then he'd be breaking his own promise recorded in his word. Because he's the one who said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he said, I I've done that. And so I'm as certain for heaven as if I were already there a thousand years. That's solid hope, amen? That's strong confidence. That's building your life on the book, on the word of God, the God who cannot lie, whose word can be trusted. Unshakable hope, solid ground. Build your life on the Word of God. Back in those college years, there was a guy who was investing and pouring his life into me, and one day he showed me a, a diagram. I think the Navigators organization came up with this. He says, hey, Steve, you want to build your life on the Word of God? You want to get a better grip on, on the Bible? Here's how to do it. It's like your hand. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Hear it. Four fingers and a thumb. Read the Bible, hear the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible, meditate on the Bible. I've never forgotten that. Never forgotten that. Build your life on the Word of God. We live in unsettling times. Lately, it feels to me like the sand is shifting underneath our feet. Does it feel like that to you? Like the winds of change are about to blow. And so I need to ask you today, are, are you prepared for that? Are you ready? Are you standing strong with both feet firmly planted on the solid rock of absolute truth? Stable and steady and secure? Is your life being built on a solid foundation that won't give way? Are you firmly grounded in the word of God? Are you reading the Bible often? Are you hearing it preached and taught? often? Do you ever go deeper and study it and, and dive deep to find out its core message? Do you ever write some scriptures out on a note card or put them on your, your screen or your screensaver on your iPhone or your iPad or your computer screen at work so you can memorize the scriptures by seeing it over and over again? Do you ever stop and just ponder God's word to you through his Bible? truth about too many Christians is that the Word of God just isn't that precious to us. We value lots of other things above His Word. But you know, that's not true of everyone. There are people who clutch and treasure the Word of God, like some of the sweet people in this video clip. I wanted you to see this. This is what we needed the most. You know, appetites can be developed. Tastes can be developed. I used to hate broccoli. 
But I found that if you take broccoli and you smother it in cheese sauce, melted cheese sauce, it's really good. Appetites are developed. Tastes are developed. Am I right? Just as some of you have developed an appetite for pornography and you feed on that, you can develop your appetite for the Word of God. The reason some of you find yourself so weak and flabby when it comes to saying no to temptation is because you haven't been nourishing your soul in the Word of God. You don't have the inner fortitude to say no to sin because you haven't been strengthening yourself in the Word. The reason some of you find so little joy and happiness in your Christian life is because you're not pulling up to the delectable feast of the buffet of God's Word every day and feasting on the meat and milk and honey and bread of His Word. The reason some of you keep making stupid decisions about your life is because you're not drawing on heavenly wisdom. You're just getting earthly wisdom from people instead of heavenly wisdom from God. You understand what I'm saying? The reason some of you are so weak in the midst of adversity and you're always on the edge of crumbling and giving in to anxiety and worry is because you're not firmly grounded in the Word of God. The reason some of you don't get the gospel yet while others around you are swimming around in the gospel ocean enjoying it is because you haven't yet committed your life to discovering the core message of this book and saying, I'm going to get serious about this. I'm going to know that. If I don't know anything else, I'm going to know that. Build your life on the Word of God. It's what He needed the most. Today I want to give you a Bible. If you don't have one, I want to give you a modern translation of the Bible. If you don't have one, with your, permi- with your promise that you'll read it. And so right up here on the stage, again, the 9 o'clock folks were hogs, but there's some left. In a moment, just come up and get one. If you'll read it, it's a modern translation. It's our gift to you today. You say, where to read? It's a big book. Where do I read, Pastor Steve? I don't know if you know this, but every week on the bottom of your study guide, there's a Bible reading plan there. It's very manageable. It's a chapter a day. We're in Revelation right now. You see that? Kind of appropriate for our day, I think. It's also on the back of the worship folder. If you don't already have a plan or are wondering, where do I read? You can start there. I've also got some other Bible reading plans up there, different kind of multicolored two-week reading plans and stories of the New Testament, just some practical helps for you. If you'd like to get this one remaining CD that's left on the trustworthiness of the Bible, here it is. There's the bin of lost and found Bibles from here. So you've been wondering, where did my Bible go? I haven't had it for six months. It might be in that bin. <laughs> I was going to pull some up and read, you know, read the names. If you want a Bible with a leather cover, come and get one from that bin. You know? <laughs> I mean, we've tried to contact the people whose names are in there. So feel free. Feel free. Empty it out. You know, you watch that video and it kind of gets you, doesn't it? It's like, it's killing me. People love the Word of God that much. Maybe today you're feeling convicted that you haven't been giving God's Word its rightful place and priority in your life. That's a lot of us, isn't it? But you sense God speaking to you about that and, and wanting to change that, and that's, that's awesome. Isn't it great of the Lord to keep striving with us and not give up on us? 
And he's saying, you know, I just want to feed your soul through my word. And if the Lord's speaking to you today, I'm going to ask you to do something to signify you're saying yes to him. I'm going to ask you to, to come and kneel, if you can, in humility before the Lord and just say, God, I, I am so sorry. I've neglected your word. By your grace and the power of your spirit, I renew my hunger for your word, Lord. I think he would want to do that. I think that's a prayer he would want to answer. And then maybe pick up one of those resources to help you. If you've never given your whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never given your life to Jesus, come and talk with one of our prayer partners about that. Ask them. Guide me. How, how can I know Christ in my life? As for me, the little children's song I learned way back in Sunday school pretty much sums it up for me. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Lord, I've been praying all week, dear Jesus, that you would talk to your people about your word and its place in their life, its its priority in their life, and I pray that you've answered that prayer. I pray that you've spoken to many of your people to give your word its rightful place in their hearts. Lord, I pray that many would humble themselves and come and, and acknowledge that it, they've neglected your word, maybe like me for all those years where it's just sat with dust on it and I wasn't taking it in. Lord, stimulate and stoke and renew that desire feast on your holy word. Strengthen us, Lord. Encourage your people, I pray, these next few moments in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with me. We're going to worship, but if you want to come and kneel and repent and ask God to renew that hunger, do that. Pick up these resources. If you want to talk to our prayer partners about knowing Christ better, ask them. They'd be glad to share with you and pray over you. All right? Praise be to the Lord. Let's worship together.